Our scripture today comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 31 to 33. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The word of the Lord. May the, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to God today. So, we are starting a new series, just seven weeks, called The Doctrines of Peace. We're through Labor Day, we're through the summer, and here we go. We have some consistency in our schedules now. So we're going we're gonna to spend almost two months considering the doctrines of peace, what Christianity, what the Bible has to say about how we manage our conflicts. And as the team was praying this morning, I made a comment and everybody nodded their heads. I said, everybody all the time is in at least one conflict with at least one person or organization at every moment of your life. Conflict is, is nothing new to us. So we're going to study the doctrines of peace, and here's why. Um, the elders and I believe that you all, that we all need to do conflict better. Meaning not enjoy conflict, I mean when we're in conflict, do a better job managing it well. The pandemic and uh, all the societal tensions and divisions of the last few years probably the last five or ten years, if you really think about it, have squeezed out of people what's actually inside of them. Ever feel that way? You, you get into a conflict and, and you, that fight or flight chemical reaction takes over and what's inside of you gets squeezed out, right? Jesus had something to say about that in one of the Gospels, that it's not what goes into us, it's what comes out of us that is unclean. In the last several years, all the tensions and all the challenges our society that we, even as a congregation, have faced has squeezed the truth out of us, squeezed what's really in there. Fear, anger, distrust, shame, confusion, misunderstanding, selfishness. In this present age of division, of tribalism, of polarized perspectives in America, but even in religion and in the church, right? How will Christians show our community a different way? How will Christians show the world a different way, the way of peace? How will we do that? How will we do it consistently? Well, we'll begin with 1 Corinthians. Just one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, and, out of, and out of this series, I wanted to start in 1 Corinthians because we are the Corinthians, believe it or not. We're the Corinthians. We do conflict like they did. Everyone retreats to their own tribe, to their own voice of authority on every issue when there's a conflict, like the Corinthians did. And you know, we take pride in our, as, as individualistic Americans, we take pride in what makes us unique as a person or a family or uh, a corporation or a company or a school or a people group. We, 
we, we praise ourselves and take pride in, in the ways that we are unique, and then we distrust other people for what makes them unique but different than us. And the Corinthians were very much that way. They were always proud of their particular spiritual leader and what that person had to say, and, and they would use that. They would weaponize their pride in their camp, their pride in their leader, in their disagreements with one another on all sorts of religious and cultural issues. That's really us. And you may be saying, oh, come on, Brian, are we really like the Corinthians? You're just saying that because it proves the point you want to make in your sermon. Well, I'm serious. We really are like the Corinthians. You know, Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar in, in the first century BC, uh, because the Romans had leveled Corinth, the Greek, uh, southern Greek city of Corinth, they had leveled it uh, back in, in like 146 BC or something like that. Well, in 44 BC, Julius Caesar repopulated Corinth. He built it into a Roman city and he repopulated it with freedmen. These were people who were formerly slaves and retired military veterans. So he repopulates this, this city. It's, it's, it's right at the heart of the Mediterranean Sea, a diverse place, a cosmopolitan place, a center of commerce, and he repopulates it with former slaves and former military people who for the first time in their lives are in this vibrant seaport and now they can try and prosper. Now they can make something of themselves. One biblical scholar wrote that Paul, now a century later, Paul shows up and plants a church in Corinth. And one scholar writes that Paul was writing to a church in a city only a few generations removed from its founding by colonists seeking upward social mobility. That's America. We're all the descendants of immigrants one way or another. We're all the descendants of people who came here to make their lives better or were forced here and are now trying to make their lives better. That's America. Also, it's even more specific than that. Paul had planted that church in Corinth only five years before he wrote this letter. That's us. That's Deep Run Church. We're less than 10 years old. Paul said something to the Corinthians that provides a foundation for this series on the doctrines of peace. That's why we're starting with Corinthians, because we are the Corinthians. As Americans, we are the Corinthians, and as a very young church in its first decade of development, going through such a divisive time in our history and society, we're the Corinthians. And what Paul does in Corinthians chapter 10 is he lays the groundwork for what we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks. We begin on the way of peace as we glorify God. That is the foundation to glorify God. We begin on our way of peace as we glorify God and enjoy his grace to us. That's where we begin as peacemakers, as Christians who want to be people of peace like our Prince of Peace. And so today I'm going to talk about the purpose of peace in the life of a Christian. And I want to talk about how we pursue it as well. And I want to talk about what its results are, at least one big result of pursuing peace together. So the purpose of peace, the pursuit of peace, and, and then the result of peace. So the purpose of peace or uh, the purpose of peacemaking for the Christian is to glorify God. Very simple concept. 
but it absolutely has to start there. And by the way, this concept of glorifying God, I know it comes from the Bible, but I'm bringing it up, and I'll bring some other ideas up in this series that come from the book by Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker. Uh, It's very long, but it's a good resource to have. I highly recommend it. So Paul's words in our passage today in in verse uh, 31 starts with, so whether you eat or drink, and I'll stop right there for a second because he says so. Okay, so he's talking about something. What's the background here? What's the context? Well, if you go back, if you have a Bible and you go back to verses 23 and 24, this was the context. Paul had written, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Now, Paul there was quoting, actually he was countering, he was disagreeing with a prevailing cultural thought there in Corinth and and probably also a false teaching that had crept into that young church. And this is what he is countering, the idea that Christian liberty somehow overrules Christian love. That for the Christian one's liberty and freedom to do what they want and enjoy themselves and express themselves and their opinions was somehow superior than the Christian's calling to love other believers. And Paul is countering that. This was the idea. It was something like this. My freedom to enjoy myself overrides your well-being. But Paul was writing throughout the chapter that Christians were actually free to eat. Now, the issue is over pagan food. The issue was over meat that was offered to false idols, false gods, and, and Christians were debating whether or not they were, they were allowed to eat that idol meat, essentially. You'd go to the market and you'd find some meat, and sometimes that meat had been offered to an idol, to a false god. And the Christians in Corinth disagreed over whether or not they were allowed to do that. And those disagreements got kind of ugly. Sound familiar? Paul was saying that Christians were actually free to eat pagan meat offered to false gods. They were free. They were at liberty to do that. It's just meat, Paul said. However, he went on to say, if that troubled some of them, then the rest of them should refrain from doing it. If it bothered the conscience of some of them, then the rest of them should refrain out of respect and love to those whose conscience were bothered by it. Because for the church, Paul would go on to say, actually, it's the other way around. Love overrides liberty. That's what he was trying to impress upon them. Now, what does meat have to do with our study of peace? Well, Paul's point provides a foundation for peacemaking because it establishes the absolutely essential priority as we resolve our conflicts. Verse 31 or whatever you do, right? Whether you eat or you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? So that broadens Paul's application beyond steak and bacon and beer and wine. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see that? So every endeavor of yours, every plan you make, every investment that you involve yourself in, all of your relationships, your job, your vocation, your career, all of it 
The Christian does for the glory of God. Like Chris said earlier to, kids, to the kids today, down to what you do with your feet and what you do with your eyes, all to the glory of God. As, as the, the Westminster Shorter Catechisms put, summed it up perfectly, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That even, that even applies to the issues, the issues that divide a culture, the issues that can divide a church, the issues that can divide a family or Christians. It even applies to the issues in our lives. We must navigate those treacherous issues for the glory of God. So it's really for us not an issue of meat today, but it may be an issue of how we differ on how we educate our children. Or it could be an issue of how we differ over how we vote in politics and how we talk about the divisive social issues that our society is faced with. It could even be something as simple as how we all disagree in running our little ministries that are developing as our church grows. It could just simply be something like that. Even in the issues and how we disagree over them, we are to manage our disagreements for the glory of God. Our desires in the issues, our positions in the issues may be in conflict from time to time, but what we have in common is our devotion to God. What we have in common is our calling to worship Him together. So there you have it. There's the foundation. And the pursuit of peace, you and me, us together, the pursuit of peace in all of our relationships has to be built on that foundation for the glory of God. There's no other foundation on which we build our pursuit of peace. And once we have that foundation in place, now our pursuit of peace actually has a chance. It doesn't have a chance unless that's the foundation. But we can build it on, on it uh, from there properly because that good foundation of God's glory, his worthiness to be worshiped and honored and praised and loved by all of humanity, but specifically by us, by those who know him, who have been forgiven by him, right? That foundation lifts us up out of our self-focused perspectives and viewpoints and positions, Paul went on to say in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So that's everyone. He was a Jew. He was talking to Christians who were Gentiles and Jewish. He mentions Greeks. That means everybody that's not Jewish. So Jews and Gentiles, and he says, and especially to the church of God. So you see, we ought to pursue peace with all people. We, we, don't, we don't get a, you know, we don't have a get out of jail card for any category of people in our conflicts. The Bible neglects no group, no tribe, no demographic, no generation, no ethnicity, no political or social party. The Bible neglects none of that in our pursuit of peace in all of our dealings. Paul specifically said, give no offense. So if you look at the original reading of that phrase, it meant something like, cause nobody to stumble. Don't put a stumbling block in anyone's way. I thought that was interesting as I was thinking about this week. You know, if someone in my house happens to leave a toy on the floor or a bunch of Legos 
on the floor. And I happened to walk over those in the middle of the night, in the dark, trying to get to the bathroom or trying to do something, right? Usually, that person's not putting them there on purpose. They're not throwing the Legos there on purpose to trip dad up. They're not leaving that giant, obnoxious, hard-edged plastic toy in the middle of a dark room on purpose, are they? Most of the time, they're not. Yeah, I'm getting some nods. Oh, they do it. They would do it. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt at the moment and saying, that was unintentional, but it's still an obstruction. I'm still tripping over it in the dark and banging my knee and getting very angry in the middle of the night. It wasn't left there on purpose, but it's still an obstacle. And and that's often how we offend one another. It's not intentional, but it's still an offense. It's still a stumbling block of offense. We often offend one another neglectfully. Not always intentionally, but neglectfully. Neglectfully. Randy Neighbors likes to say that neglect is still really bad. Just because you didn't mean to do it, it's still a bad thing. We place our liberty above the benefit of other people. And that's what Paul is trying to deal with right here. Don't leave a stumbling block in front of somebody. Sometimes we're not aggressive. Sometimes we're just neglectful or apathetic. And the way we speak and the way we post things or tweet things and the way we talk We don't intend to hurt one another, but we don't care about the other person, and we end up neglectfully leaving a stumbling block in somebody's path, and they trip over it. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 33, just, so he says, leave no stumbling block in in people's way. Make no offense to anybody, just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many. The opposite of being neglectful is being intentional. We're really not neutral. You can be neglectful to one another's harm, and you can be intentional to one another's benefit. That's how we pursue peace, by being intentional in our relationships with one another. So here's a takeaway. Next time you're in a conflict, I want you to remember this, and I would even tell you, write it down if you have a writing utensil. Write this down. Next time you're in a conflict, or for the current conflict that you're in and you're thinking about right now, write this down. God remains on his throne. Think of a creator that is actually ruling his creation. Because we know that God governs all things, because we know that nothing can escape his sight or his will, because we know that God deeply cares about his daughters and his sons, that he regards them so intimately that he knows the numbers of hairs on their heads, that he has your DNA on file, that nothing can separate you from his love, nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Knowing all of that, therefore, we can put aside our own advantage in conflicts in order to serve one another. God remains on his throne. 
He is sitting on his throne, righteously, sovereignly governing all things, including me. And that's the first thing I need to remember when I realize I'm in a conflict with somebody. God is on his throne, and I exist to glorify him in this conflict. If you're not excited about Paul's advice, and if you're, not, uh, if you're unimpressed with that statement, God remains on his throne, here's why. We are naturally predisposed to serve our own interests in conflicts. And we fall, in general, this is a generalization, okay? In general, we fall um, off two cliffs. We fall into either one or the other of, 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 these, um, of these extremes, all right? Um, it may be the way you operate in conflict or it may be the way you operate in conflict with certain types of people or certain people in your life. Uh, so some people either pridefully push their own agendas in conflict. I'll call them the power mongers. Some people, on the other hand, fearfully accommodate other people's agendas in conflict. I'll call them the people pleasers, power mongers and people pleasers. Maybe you're one of those, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle, or maybe with certain people in your life, you're a power monger, and with other people in your life, because of how they make you feel, or who they remind you of, or just your relationship with them, your birth order, something like that, you're more of a people pleaser with them. Whatever, we've got power mongers in general and people pleasers in general. Now, the, the power mongers actually have a false view of liberty, of what it means to be free, of what it means to be at liberty to do what I want and say what I want and think what I want and post what I want and tell you what I want to tell you. I'm at liberty to do that. They have a false sense of liberty. The people pleasers have a false sense of love. Because you need help, I'm here to provide it. Because you're a mess, I'm here to clean it up. Because God has taught me to love my neighbor. So the people pleasers have a, a false view, a, a, a misconstrued view of love. And the power mongers may say something like, well, what if I'm right? What if I'm correct? What if I have the moral high ground in a dispute or an argument or a conflict? Yeah, well, you know what? God still tells you to love your neighbor and to serve your enemies. It's not just about being right and being correct and having the moral high ground. Often, though, the people pleasers will say, yeah, but what if somebody has a legitimate need? And I'm in a position to help. I'm in a position to accommodate that need. Yeah, well, you know what the person needs? They actually need you to do God's will more than they need you to do their will. That's what they really need. And here's what happens when the power, when, when we do that, and you can find yourself somewhere in that dynamic probably, but, but power mongers and people pleasers have something in common. None of them are glorifying God. One of them is serving their own purpose and the other is serving the other people's purposes without asking God first, what should I do? And actually, to be a people pleaser, to un unnecessarily accommodate 
the wishes of others is actually just as self-serving as the power mongers because you're still trying to protect yourself. You're still working and acting and speaking in fear. It's just as self-serving as a dominant person who tries to win and accuse and violate constantly. But what, what we all have in common, despite how we fall off of the cliff in conflict, is we're not glorifying God. We're driving our own agenda or we're driving someone else's. And when that happens, friends, everyone loses. We all lose in conflict when these things happen. And, and the world sees a divided church. Has it not seen a divided church over the last 10 years and over the last five years and over the last three years? Has the world not seen Christians divided? That's why we're doing this. If we aim to glorify God above our own desires, even if those desires are to accommodate the needs of other people, all right? If we, if we seek and aim to glorify God above our own desires, there is a beautiful result. There, there is inestimable beautiful results. But the one I want to talk to you about is this. What is the impact of pursuing peace together? What is Paul's conclusion? What does he say? The rest of verse 33, that they may be saved. You see that? It's not just about meat offered to idols. It's not just about Christians fighting with each other in ancient Corinth. He says, the reason I, the reason I put my needs aside to love my neighbor and to try and think and speak and do for the well-being of all people is so that some might be saved. The stakes are much higher in our conflicts than you and me and our little church. The world's watching. Our neighbors are watching. Our coworkers are watching. Your children and your grandchildren are watching as you do conflict. Will they see Jesus? If you're a Christian, you have to ask the question, will they see Jesus in how I deal with conflict? Is the work and the grace and the wisdom and the gentleness of the Prince of Peace in us as we deal with our conflicts? The very essence of suffering is a loss of liberty. Think about how you have suffered in your life. The essence of suffering is a loss of liberty that we all want. And that's exactly what Jesus gave up. We had read this earlier from Colossians chapter 1. Paul said this to a different church. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was God. He had a right to reign in liberty but he came here as a servant. Paul went on to say, through Jesus, through him, God came to reconcile to himself all things by making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus, for a love of his heavenly father, for a love of his neighbor, meaning me and you, Jesus surrendered his liberty in suffering. So now you do the same. You surrender your liberty to love one another in all of our conflicts. We surrender our liberty to love one another because Jesus surrendered his liberty in dying for us. That's the foundation. That's the grace of God. 
The grace of God, the glory of God are the foundation as we look towards being a people of peace in a divisive age. So we begin on the way of peace as we glorify God and as we enjoy his grace together. And part of the way that we enjoy his grace together, his gift of forgiveness to us, is we share forgiveness with one another. I don't just enjoy the grace of God as, as an island by myself. Oh, like God loves me. This is great. Like I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. Like, well, there's a horizontal dynamic to that. If I'm enjoying the grace of God, I'm offering it to you too. I'm forgiving you because God's forgiven me. I'm going to stop wanting my way in conflict. And I'm going to stop giving in to your way in conflict because that may not be good either. What's God's way? What's God's way? What is his agenda? That is where we have to begin in conflict. So remember in your next conflict or the current one that God remains on his throne and he has an agenda. Let's try and figure out what that is. And that will give you the liberty. His agenda, the foundation of his glory, that'll give you the liberty to love others and in so doing, you will glorify him. So that's where we begin. I'm excited to move forward with you together. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that um, oh, we're, 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 we're tired, we're, we're frustrated, we're disenfranchised, disillusioned about certain issues or certain people or certain organizations or, or certain institutions. Hey, Father, some of us are disillusioned about the church itself. Some of us feel dragged here against our own will. Father, I pray that this would be a, a safe environment for people who feel burned by religion and by the church. But I thank you that they're here, and I thank you that we're here together. I ask that you would give us your perspective on the conflicts in our lives, or at least on how we react to the conflicts in the world and pick up some unhealthy thoughts and patterns from that. Help us to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Help us to be people of peace like our Prince of Peace. Father, help us to hold on tight and to really listen during the next several weeks. Uh, we want to raise a harvest of righteousness by being people who sow in peace. Amen.